Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. On today's segment with Sophia Mendelssohn and her colleague Sarah Bogdan uh, from JetBlue, we are going to hear some amazing insights into one, their personal sustainability journey. They said it's really hard to get these kind of jobs and you need to be relentless. And both of them have been relentless. We're also going to hear about how JetBlue in particular is responding to global warming and climate change as issues and how the aviation industry is impacted by that. But even more importantly, and I think more interestingly, we're going to hear how JetBlue responds to these issues from a consumer-facing standpoint. When in Europe, people are flight shaming, there's a lot of consumer interest in what is the aviation industry going to do? And JetBlue has a pretty good answer that I think our listeners are going to enjoy. One of the things that we will learn is that it's not just analyzing the aviation industry, but it's looking at best practices from other industries, especially what is happening in finance. The street has a huge impact on how companies behave. Post Davos, there's some significant changes taking place. So there's huge opportunities. It's not easy, but we're going to learn from some of the best, both Sophia and her colleague, Sarah. JetBlue was founded in 1999. Their purpose was to br bring humanity back to air travel. They fly to almost 100 locations. They have 700 daily flights. Their revenue in uh, fiscal year 18 was $7.6 They have over 22,000 employees, but they don't call them employees. They call them crew members. And they uh, serve over 42 million passengers in 2018. And I think I had uh, plenty of those seats. This conversation today is very timely because it follows Davos, as well as BlackRock CEO Larry Fink's most recent annual letter to his clients, where he said, that sustainability should be our new standard for investing. We don't yet know which predictions about the climate will be most accurate, he says, nor what effects we have failed to consider. But there is no denying the direction we are heading. Every government, company, and shareholder must confront climate change. And we will hear from JetBlue how definitively they are combating climate change. Today's guest is Sophia Mendelssohn. She is the head of sustainability and environmental social governance, ESG, at JetBlue Airways. She's also joined by one of her team members, Sarah Bogdan. I'd like to call Sophia a relentless innovator. 
I met her when I moderated a panel at Sustainable Brands a number of years ago called Confessing and Celebrating Failure as a Path to Successful Sustainability Strategies. Sophia's comments made me an instant fan as she discussed her approaches to sustainability and innovation for JetBlue. And I've followed her career ever since with tremendous delight because when I see large announcements, I know it took a long time, but Sophia is relentless. And today we're going to hear from her and some of the challenges to making JetBlue one of the foremost sustainable airlines flying in the sky. In JetBlue's ESG report, their 2018, Sophia has this quite telling quote. We have gone from just thinking about the impact we have on the environment to evaluating the impact the environment has on us, both risks and opportunities. Sophia, you joined JetBlue in 2013. Previously, you worked at Hayworth and the Jane Goodall Institute. As a sustainability professional, what led you to JetBlue and the aviation industry? Well, Carol, first, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to your listeners for wanting to hear my story on their commute as they're going through their day. Uh, My journey into sustainability started in China. I was working in China in import and export manufacturing. And uh, I really had the privilege of being in the factories and seeing the effect of what our consumption was doing, seeing the dyes run into sewer systems, seeing the air quality change before a country's eyes. And I could also see the economic lift that the population was getting from this import and export and manufacturing. There was a huge upside. So how do you preserve that economic upside without tearing it down from the bottom through environmental degradation? That's the question I started thinking about in about 2003, and that's the question I've been obsessed with every day since. Uh, you know, Sophia, in the, the quote that Carol read, you, you talked specifically about the impact the environment is having on JetBlue. Let, let's also just take a minute to talk about the aviation industry and its impact on the environment. Uh, there are trends like flight shaming movement in Europe, the opt-in for trains, cars, or flying um, due to the carbon footprint that's significant with air travel. How's the aviation industry evolving? And, and how's JetBlue evolving to be more environmentally friendly? Yeah, that's a great question. Aviation is such a critical industry. It literally makes our global economy go round. It keeps cultures and people from being isolated from one another. We can't simply pull back aviation on the turn of the dime. What we can do and are trying to do as quickly as possible is rapidly address our carbon emissions going forward. We hear customers, we hear shareholders, and we hear ourselves. We no longer want to fly without thinking about the unintended and unwanted externality of carbon. Because you are a relentless innovator, and that's one of the things I just love about you, Sophia, um, you have uh, taken a step to lead the evolution of going to carbon neutrality. And I believe you've made uh, this commitment to start in July this year? 
That's correct. And is this, a, we hear this, this is a first for U.S. airlines. Um, what impact will this decision have um, on your business? Let's start. And I'm curious about, um, are you getting a lot of demand from your crew members or your customers or others? Well, let me start off by saying our move towards carbon neutrality is good for our business. It answers a need from our customers, our crew members, our shareholders, the communities we serve. We see this as good business through taking care of our major environmental impact. We also believe that there's going to be more of this coming. We can't speak for what other airlines may or may not do, but we know that our move has inspired our customers, inspired those in the press, influencers such as yourself, to ask that exact question. What does the industry plan to do? What is the industry's big move going forward on this? And on underappreciated is the number of moves we've already made. For example, JetBlue has one of the newer fleets flying around the skies. In this case, new means energy efficient, fuel efficient, up to 20% more fuel efficient per seat in some cases. If you think of it, like some airlines are still driving SUVs, and we're in a hyper-efficient electric car. That's great. There you go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> let's, let's actually talk about another one of those uh, those innovations. Uh, about uh, two, three years ago, I think in 2016, you announced a 10-year renewable jet fuel purchase agreement with uh, SG Preston Bioenergy Company. And, and you're actually purchasing renewable jet flu- fuel made from... Uh, bio-based feedstocks that don't compete with food production. How's that working out so far? So we also announced um, a a new purchase uh, for our San Francisco airports um, starting in 2020 or 2021, which we're really excited about. The point here is that carbon offsets are the first step. Second has to be a fast follower with sustainable aviation fuel. And then finally, you know, we'll get the electric aircraft for short haul flights uh, in in the long term, but we what we've really done here is lay out a roadmap. First, we're not burning what we don't have to. That's fuel efficient aircrafts. Second, what we can't avoid, we're offsetting. Third, we have to move the market on sustainable aviation fuel. JetBlue has gone ahead and signed two purchase agreements to do that. We're also looking forward to other airlines doing something similar, as well as the oil majors beginning to make sustainable aviation fuel. Finally, and only lastly, are you really waiting on technology to evolve? But this can't be a case of sitting back and saying, oh, the tech isn't ready yet. I know that that you and I talked a while ago about your pursuing that biofuels deal. I mean, that took a lot of work. Was there one or two moments where you probably said, oh, it's it's not going to happen? But you again, you're a relentless innovator and you just power through <laughs> Carol, thank you. I'm laughing because as you're asking me, I'm just remembering the pain, the sweat, right. and the tears. Right. You know, it, it is possible to run out of breath and sweat in a meeting like you've been running a marathon when you're working on one of these deals. Yes, um, it is very challenging to 
create a market. That's what that's what the aviation industry is trying to do here. And credit to where where it's due. United Airlines was first out of the gate. United really opened the first door for sustainable aviation fuel. And that shouldn't be forgotten because we are going to build off that, build together. What we need is economies of scale. We hear customers wanting this and worrying about it. We're going to hear their voices louder and we are going to react as an industry to demand economies of scale for sustainable aviation fuel, which will bring the price down. To answer Carol's perceptive question, yes, of course, there are moments where you feel like it can't be done. I remember one moment working on one of the sustainable aviation fuel deals and it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And the person on the other end of the line said to me, Sophia, I'm sorry, we're just not going to get over this hurdle today. And I said, there's no need to apologize because we are and we are going to sign a contract by close of business day. I spent the rest of the day on the phone with people in different countries, working through paperwork, working through legal, and we did it. Ah, that's great. Uh-huh. There you go. That, that's what struck me about you when we did that panel at Sustainable Brands. I mean, you are just relentless, but you're delightful. So you're relentlessly delightful. <laughs> so, that, so that really works. When we're talking about the market and you talk about other market partners kind of joining this initiative or leading pieces of this initiative, um, it, it's also really interesting that you guys are endorsing um, new entries into the market. Um, and really extending your approach to sustainability beyond the core business with initiatives like Blue Bud. C- can you tell about that program a little bit and, and how you're bringing startups along into the JetBlue culture? When you think about how fast industry is going to have to change, the choices that are going to have to be made to keep up with the Davos rhetoric, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take our existing business partners making new products and services, innovating on their old products and services. And it's going to take smaller companies and startups. And it's no secret what's been going on in Silicon Valley now. Their uh, startups are, are having their renaissance. What we need is for that to shift to a focus on startups that are helping companies be, meet, be more resource efficient, going from uh, a landfilling economy to a circular economy. We've seen a lot of interest in you know, um, algorithmic-based startups. Now let's look for interest in startups that are going to help us address the climate crisis as quickly as possible. And are there any, in terms of Blue Bud, are there any sort of um, outcomes that you've, that early outcomes you've gotten from um, that initiative? Yes, what it does is highlight uh, companies that we might not other see, n- might not otherwise see. Sarah usually talks to this, so Sarah can talk to it better than me. It is Sarah. Maybe you can um, talk about Hot Bread Kitchen, and then maybe like just tease a little bit, just a tiniest tease of our new strategy to come. Sure. Yep. So Blue Bud is our small business food and beverage mentorship program, um, and and this started because you know we have a product team at JetBlue that receives you know samples of products all the time. People are reaching out, people are reaching out to me too, um, you know, with, with the product they'd love to have on board. Um, the problem is it's a very specific type 
of food and beverage product that really works in an airline operation. You know, one consideration being the size of it. You know, space is a constraint on board. And if it's a really bulky, you know, product, we might not have the space to carry it. And of course, the weight of it impacts the fuel burn and, you know, the overall emissions associated with that flight. And so, um, you know, we fly to over 100 places and about 25 of them, we do our catering operations. So we're reloading um, there. And so they need also a robust distribution um, system so that they can, you know, be unloaded onto the aircraft in these different places. And so we wanted to connect the dots because I found myself, you know, just like forwarding emails from this really cool socially like conscious, um, you know, granola bar, you know, uh, manufacturer in Brooklyn and, and just, and then maybe it not progressing. And so we came up with Bluebud to really connect the dots and learn with the small businesses, you know, how can we better work together? How can we help you get on board? How can we show you our operations? So the one else, one um, success I will spotlight is Hotbed Kitchen. Um, so essentially, this is a bakery in New York City. It hires foreign-born and low-income women and then trains them on expert baking practices and then ultimately places them in full-time baking posi- positions. Um, and also their food is absolutely delicious. <laughs> so through that partnership, you know, they came on site, they met with all of their different departments from sourcing to marketing, corporate social responsibility, operations, catering, you know, you name it. Um, and by the end of it, we were able to find a, a home for them in our operations. And for some time, we uh, were able to use their challah in our French toast in our um, mint product, which is our, our first class. You have a lot of innovation in your equipment. Um, I know you've got the new Airbus 321neo. Um, you also have sharklets. Can you talk about um, the new equipment or retrofitting equipment, and also um, each one is giving you significant reductions um, in your carbon emissions. Absolutely. Our main goal is to avoid carbon emissions in the first place. Where we safely can avoid unnecessary fuel burn, we will. That means a major investment in new aircraft. Airlines don't have to buy new aircraft early. They can fly old gas guzzlers <laughs> way, way, way stretched out. You know, they, they can do maintenance on them for an extensive amount of time. And to them, that, that clearly is the right business decision. To JetBlue, we see a more fuel-efficient new fleet as good for business, good for the climate, in multiple ways, seamlessly tied together. It gives the customer a better experience. It gets the customer where they need to go, the whole point of why they're on an aircraft anyway, and it does it with less fuel. And a lot of that is about the engine, capitalizing on the technology and, and innovation that's already on the market. Right. So as Sophia said, we already operate a new fuel efficient uh, fleet, but we're always looking to further improve that. And over the last you know year or two, we've made really big announcements around big investments to introduce even more fuel efficient aircraft. So one one very big one is we're introducing 85 Airbus A321 Neos or the new engine option aircraft, which we estimate to improve fuel economy by 20%. And that's through, you know, designed uh, engine technology and changes to the cabin. And then also we announced that we have 
were acquiring 70 Airbus A220s, which is actually a new aircraft type for our fleet. And these will be replacing our Embraer fleet. So those are the 100-seater aircraft that we operate now, which are, are not even old by most you know, airline measures. But we found, we, you know, we expect to see, uh, to reduce emissions per seat by about 40% compared to the aircraft they're replacing. So, you know, as Sophia said, um, reducing and avoiding the fuel in the first place is number one, um, you know, maybe moving towards sustainable aviation fuels next, and then offsetting what we can't avoid. And that first step, you know, we're making really big moves to achieve that. Sarah, you are day-to-day manager. You're a key colleague for Sophia to get things done, to operationalize. Let's start talking about the electric ground support equipment um, and why it's important that you're focusing on this. Essentially, to give a little background, I think when people think about, you know, the, the emissions associated with air travel, naturally, we think about the aircraft that's where, you know, 99% of the fuel burn and the climate warming emissions come from. But there's actually another considerable source of impact, and that is um, the ground vehicles that drive all around an airport. I'm not sure if you've noticed it, but hopefully on your next flight, look out the window and you'll see um, hundreds to sometimes, depending on the size of the airport, you know, up to a thousand of these little tractors driving around. And they they do very important um, functions for the, the flight, which include, you know, driving the bags to and from um, the airport over to the aircraft, loading them into the belly of the aircraft, and then pushing back the aircraft. Um, so a lot of functions. And traditionally, these units are gasoline and diesel. Um, but what we've been converting to uh, are electric. And their benefits are so great. Essentially, you know, Number one, of course, improves local air quality um, and reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, number two, our crew members prefer them. Um, they are these like smooth, zippy, clean, quiet vehicles. People have <laughs> a lot of fun Great. driving them around on the ramp. Had to actually reduce the maximum speed because people <laughs> okay, were having a little too go. much fun. <laughs> um, and so, you know, over 90% of our ground operations crew members who we survey prefer these units. So grateful. For our crew members, and then also business benefits. Um, we save money. It's more fuel efficient uh, to use electricity from our uh, cogeneration facility rather than you know drive in and fuel gasoline and diesel into these. So through that, um, we've been making really big recent moves. So we just rolled out the largest fleet of any carrier at JFK of electric ground support equipment, um, 118 vehicles, um, and basically replaced all of our two most common vehicles, which are bag tugs and belt loaders, to plug in electric. And, and I have to give a shout out to, um, and you know, the benefit from a, a public-private partnership. Um, we were selected by FAA for an environmental grant to help fund the charging stations. We also partnered with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey and the New York Power Authority for the implementation. And so it's it's been a great project and we're looking to do the same over at Boston right now. This is a complete wrap. If a company says this is important to us in one place, then it's important in all places. If our customers are concerned about associated pollution with their jet fuel burn, then they're worried about associated pollution on the ground with ground service equipment. They want to see that methodology, that thought process carry through to onboard recycling. And when you have the privilege of working on these initiatives, as I do, you're really taking on the responsibility of your customers. That means Sarah and I are taking on the responsibility 
of some 30 million people a year and their soda cans. You know, I want to loop back for a second to your purpose, because when you were established in 1999, your purpose was bringing humanity back to air travel. JetBlue has a North Star of inspiring humanity, brightening the journey as the customer goes through their trip. That can be in any way you engage and interact with them. When you step onto an airplane, you bring your values and your lifestyle with you. If you value recycling and eating healthy on the ground, then you're going to want that on an airplane as well. And that's where the sustainability team at JetBlue comes in. We want to help customers continue to live out their values on our aircraft. We've talked about how these initiatives all sort of tend towards consumer. How, how does it work internal to JetBlue when you're, when you're still expressing those same values? How do you bring employees and internal stakeholders along? Sure. And I mean, this is a challenge inherent to sustainability professionals. I'm sure many listeners um, can identify with that. Um, you know, ultimately, we're asking people to change the way they do things. And in aviation, it is a, a unique industry in that people are in it forever, uh, which is really great. Um, but, you know, I'll talk to people that, you know, JetBlue is just turning 20 this year. But we still have, you know, folks who have worked for United American, other aircraft uh, airlines, and they're experts. But, you know, when I come in, I, I am not a pilot. <laughs> I'm not an engineer. And sometimes, you know, saying, let's change the way we do something. I think they should be skeptical. It's, you know, I think anyone who's good at their job should ask the right questions. Um, but what's important from a sustainability professional perspective is to understand that, you know, resistance to change is normal, but you need to come in, you know, armed with the information, you know, I show, okay, well, you know, Delta has been doing this in Boston for, you know, for three years, or look at these fuel savings, or, you know, it's already certified and proven in Ecuador, you know, whatever the example is, and then also asking them what their true concerns are, um, working through it. And, and through that, we have been able to, you know, assemble these, you know, big multidisciplinary groups that you know, with everyone's expertise can make these big change, make these big changes. I will say, and Carol knows well, communication is key. Sarah and I can work as hard as possible in the office if we don't incorporate the thoughts and feelings and ideas of the crew members on the aircraft, underneath the aircraft, flying the aircraft, then we have not done our jobs. It is a constant two-way conversation. They're an amazing outpouring of ideas from crew members on sustainability. And it is our culture that we take those ideas from every crew member as seriously as we take an idea from our CEO. And just like our, with our CEO, it doesn't mean I can execute on every one of the ideas. But the <laughs> culture right, part right, right. is that your idea, your complaint, your suggestion matters just as much to me as if it had come from the board of directors. When you get this information from your crew members or from the public, I mean, what's the system you use? Do you have do you have someone that's, you know, a listener? I mean, how does it work that you're, you're getting thousands of, I know you are because I've sent you some, <laughs> and, you know, how are you getting them? How do you sift through them? How do you decide which ones to act on? 
JetBlue stays in tune to the climate of expectations on sustainability in a number of ways. And I have to say, no pun intended. We look at what our competitors are doing. We look at what we see in the press. But most of all, Carol, we don't just look at what aviation is doing. We look at what best practice is in other industries. And where you really see a lot of movement right now is in finance. Now, we're recording this podcast just after Davos 2020 is wrapping up. And I've been joking, Davos is the new Earth Month. <laughs> it's great. You're it's great. seeing CEOs of all types and stripes, but particularly finance CEOs, really feel the heat. Ugh, again, no pun intended, on the climate crisis. And they have, I can't believe I'm mm-hmm. going to do it again. They have had their, had their feet held to the fire by, by the press um, <laughs> on making proclamations and not following through. 2020 is going to be the mm. year of making sure companies follow through on their proclamations. And JetBlue knows that. Sarah and I are aware of that. That's when we say July. We mean July 1st. That's when we say every flight. We mean our accounting is for every flight. That's that's great. I mean, it's just it's uh, it's not just the next gen, but it's just that people are just saying, you know, I'm pissed and I'm not going to take it anymore or some other expletive, which could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we see that all around. I mean, it, it's actually one of the best things about doing this podcast is that uh, consumers are more mindful of it. CEOs are more mindful of it. Companies are becoming more mindful of it. I don't want to freeze you out of your heat metaphors. But uh, it, it's it's great that it's it's on the public mind right now. All the CEOs that flew in on their private jets to Davos. I mean, you know, what's your point of view on that? You know, Carol, I'm sitting at home looking at the news about Davos. And I turned to my husband and I said, next year, I'm going to get sustainable aviation fuel into the tanks of those airports. There you go. Great, smart. Or maybe the JetBlue charter to Davos. (laughs) Make it a branding opportunity (laughs) and a conservation movement. (laughs) Love it. We've got a really good sense now of kind of the the focus in JetBlue business through culture, through consumer. Let's turn and look at um, foundation and community programs. So, the JetBlue Foundation focuses primarily on STEM. How do you align with that issue? And, and what are you helping to do to build a future workforce for the aviation industry? The JetBlue Foundation is truly unique. We are one of the only, if not the only, aviation foundation focused entirely on STEM education for underrepresented populations. And guys, this is another perfect example of how doing quote unquote, the right thing and doing the right thing for business are perfectly intertwined. No and, no but. It makes sense for an aviation company to have a diverse, talented pool of people who want to work in and around aircrafts. We need to build that pipeline for ourselves and we're not satisfied to sit back and say, Whoever can afford to come to us is good enough. And and uh, how are you um, implementing your STEM programs? I'm curious about what partners are you working with? This is a great part about the JetBlue Foundation. We're not telling teachers how to do it. We are giving grants to 
the organizations that do STEM education in their local communities 365 days a year. On top of writing checks, we also open our doors all over the country, all over the world to have children, especially uh, young women, come into our hangars. A hangar is where you park the airplane when you're fixing it, touch the aircraft, get in the cockpit, look in the engine, check it out. It's an amazing opportunity. It's called Fly Like a Girl, Jet Blue. That's awesome. I remember back at Sustainable Brands that you were talking about taking on core issues in the Caribbean because you had so many flights there. And I thought that that was like so smart. Can you talk about the Coral Reef Initiative? You know, it's it's no surprise that on a podcast like this, we keep coming back to point and point again, where I'm saying yet another example of where the business imperative is the same as the social imperative. Here we are again with coral reefs. People get on an airplane for a reason. That reason has frequently to do with where they want to go on vacation. People love the beach, sun, sea, and sand. That is never going to change. So if there is no beautiful, pristine, wide, white beaches for folks to be inspired to travel to, then JetBlue has a problem. Our demand for our services and products is intertwined with the health of the ecosystems that we fly to. So, you know, as Sophia said, you know, we we truly understand the value of the beautiful places we fly to, you know, a third of our destinations to Latin America and the Caribbean. And people like to fly places to see these beautiful destinations. And just like if, you know, Disneyland were to close down tomorrow and our, you know, routes would be reduced um, going to Orlando, you know, the same happens when these beautiful coral reefs, you know, bleach and degrade um, and the the beaches erode. And obviously the impact to the local community and habitat and wildlife is obviously devastating enough. But I think it's also important for a business to realize there are true business risks um, from, you know, as these destinations become, you know, as people don't, tourism reduces there. So through that, um, we have kind of been on a mission to try to pinpoint what is that risk? What is that financial impact to JetBlue? Um, in 2015, we re- released our first uh, eco earnings report where we were looking at the different um, you know, Caribbean destinations we fly to and trying to find a link between our revenue and the environmental health of these places. And there's a lot of noise and, and we, we certainly found um, some correlation, which was helpful. Um, but we tried to continue to advance this and uh, in the last year released a report in which we partnered with the Nature Conservancy to truly, you know, we understand coral reef health is diminishing, but we wanted to truly um, quantify some of that. And we, you know, we found through the report that the value of reef-associated tourism is, you know, almost $8 billion a year, over 11 million visitors, something that is obviously very important both, you know, to our customers and to us, and so something that we need to work to protect. We always like to ask our guests, um, and you've provided insights already, but what are your top three insights for our listeners? It is so hard to get into corporate sustainability. The jobs are few. The opportunities are immense. I feel blessed every day to have one of those jobs. And to the folks 
in one, half in one, trying to get in one. I just hope we remember that everyone leading now crawled their way in too. I took every contact I knew to coffee. I had so many coffees, I had to switch to Perrier. You know, I, I like knew which <laughs> coffee shops had bathrooms and which didn't. I wrote blogs. I spoke for free. I ghost worked for free. I did everything I could to pad my resume to get here. Absolutely hard to get the job. But again, what are your top three insights for others who are on their sustainability journey? And as we all know, it's not easy. My top three insights for those on their sustainability journey are one, start and stop with the core product and service your company is selling. That's your key to relevancy. Two, remember that we are in a place of privilege. We are privileged to be paid to think about the long term. Frequently, our colleagues need to be thinking about the day to day because that's their job. And third and finally, be prepared to outwork the haters. You can get past any negativity about corporate sustainability by being more prepared, having your statistics, looking up what your shareholders have said on the topic, and bringing those to a meeting printed out. And once you've endured the inevitable joke about paper use, you can show them that their top five shareholders are demanding change. That's fantastic. Uh, that was, this is really great. Thanks so much, Sophia. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much, Sophia for a wonderful conversation. As a JetBlue Mosaic, I've always loved the airline. That's their frequent flyer program. But now, based on the depth of this conversation, I love it even more. On behalf of Chris Noble and myself, we'd love to ask our listeners, ask yourselves this question, what is your purpose? And happy flying. <laughs>